Welcome to episode 100 of the Gunfighters podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law, following a uh, one of the craziest Iron Bowls you'll ever see. Um, so, what a day we get to celebrate episode 100 with a with an Iron Bowl victory. Didn't seem like it was going to be that way for a long time, but um, you know, guys, this was this is another classic episode of of if Auburn would play every game like they played Bama, they'd be 10 and two every year at worst. Um, you know, does does anything scream little brother like the Iron Bowl? You literally look like crap for for except for two games every two years. That's a that's a pathetic look for your program. If you played and, pre- and prepared for every game like you do Alabama and Georgia every two years, you would literally be a top ten team almost every year. I mean, if you're a coach, can you not relay that to your players? Or is it really a case of, you know, we don't care, we'll get our shit rocked by New Mexico State as long as we can beat Alabama? Is that all your program cares about? Um, it's it's pretty sad if you think about it. But, man, just overall thoughts, J-Law, overall thoughts, overall opinions before we get into any kind of details, just first thoughts, first opinion of the uh, of the crazy ending to the Iron Bowl Saturday. Yeah, I just want to congratulate Auburn on still having 799 uh, program wins in their history now for three straight weeks, including the New Mexico State game and the Iron Bowl stolen away from them. I don't know about you guys, but when when I saw Auburn come out in their defense, I'm thinking, what are they doing? And then I see them actually use one of those guys to spy the quarterback, and I'm thinking, what are they doing? Why do you have a spy? He's got to run 31 yards to get into the end zone. You have nine guys back there, and if he breaks the 31, you go tackle him. I thought it was an all-time dumb coaching decision. It's one that Auburn, uh, uh, I guess, an outcome that Auburn deserves for calling that. Um, but I was in disbelief because, and it wasn't because we completed the pass. It was because Auburn just let that happen. How did Auburn let that happen? How can Hugh Freeze, the savior, Mr. Yahtzee, this, I mean, how does he let that happen? Is the all-time stupid coaching decision has a chance with 15 five-stars in the stands, multiple Alabama commits that they want to pay $750,000 or more to in the stands, and he makes these – What you could say a lot about Nick Saban when it comes to Iron Bowls, how he turns into Coach Klein from Waterboy when he travels to Jordan-Hare Stadium. You can say what you want, but Nick Saban has never, ever – lost an Iron Bowl because of a horrendous coaching decision like Hugh Freeze just did. So hats off, Hugh Freeze. You you lost two games in back-to-back weeks because you prepped for Alabama for three weeks. You come up empty in both of them. And I, I just think it's it's rightfully deserved for a guy like Hugh Freeze to lose his first ever Iron Bowl like that. Yeah, um, he he doesn't even know who's returning the punt. First of all, he 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 says in the post game interview it's Keontae Scott, and they're like, "Uh, no, it was Coy Moore." He was like, "Oh, well, wasn't supposed to be." Well, and then he comes back and tries to say that Keontae Scott was hurt, and that's why Coy Moore went out there. So he didn't even know who's on the field. Um, at at a crucial time in the game, the most crucial punt of the game, the guy muffs it, which is. You know, you rarely see Alabama catch a break like that in the Iron Bowl, and you're like, okay, Alabama has a shot here. And then, bam, you have you get down there. Um, Milrow makes a great scramble on third and 20 to get it to fourth and one. Tommy Reese makes a great play call, and then, bam, you have a bad snap. Milrow has another illegal forward pass penalty, his second of the game. Don't know what was going on there. 
And then you're, you're staring at fourth and 31 in the face. Lester, it's fourth and goal from the 31-yard line. What's going through your head right there as a fan? Uh, I'm ready for the flood of text messages from families, friends, um, cousins, getting ready to talk a little trash about the Iron Bowl. But, you know, after the play happened, you know, I got to thinking, um, us country folks have a stay in. And uh, if it don't rain for a long time, my grandparents also often say, man, we must not be paying the preacher down here. God ain't shining down on us. So Auburn, I know the economy is kind of bad, but y'all quit paying the preacher down there because, you know. They're giving it all to the recruits. They're giving it all to the recruits and y'all yeah. got out of it. That's why y'all ain't being treated right down there. That's why y'all getting screwed over. So, you know, you better start paying the preacher. Maybe you get some of, some of that favor back in y'all's way. But that 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 was an amazing ending. And I think that, um, I think the funny part about it is that they actually practiced the play. They were prepared for it. Somehow Saban can prepare for fourth and 31, but he does not give a single damn about playing Auburn itself for one week of the year. And that is so crazy to me, yeah. but man, what, what, a, what an amazing in, ending, um, disaster on the pasture. Part two is much better than part one. Um, I guarantee you this though, <laughs> The Crimson Tide will not be selling cups in 10 years commemorating this victory. So, um, yeah, yeah, great win. Um, basically, guys, it's it's just business as usual. You know, maybe we'll bring this up in passing, you know, next year, you know, maybe a couple months from down the road talking about the Iron Bowl, I guess. But just another victory on the Plains. That's all it is. It's business as usual. It's another victory. It's not even that special. Because yeah, this the, is what uh, Alabama is supposed to do. Yeah, and I think it was J-Law saying, J-Law, this could have been our radio show way back when, when uh, you were talking about how Alabama has everything to lose and nothing to gain from playing the Iron Bowl. Because, you know, if you win, oh, it's a game. You have so much more talent. You're supposed to win this game. And if you lose, oh, my gosh, it's like the worst upset ever. As you can tell from the all the kick six memorabilia they were selling in, in remembrance uh, from a decade ago at the game on Saturday over in Auburn. Um, but uh, yeah, this defensively, J Law, we talked last week about how this might be a revenge game for Kevin Steele. You said no, I thought it could be. Obviously, it wasn't. But you know, if, if you if you break it down, Auburn had three hundred and thirty seven yards. They had runs of forty two and fifty six, and then a a busted coverage for another thirty seven. Those three plays alone accounted for one hundred and thirty five of their three hundred and thirty seven yards. If you just take away the three chunk plays. Auburn is limited to just 202 yards. So it was another – it was just your typical Iron Bowl in Jordan-Hare where Alabama dominates the game but gets costly penalties um, and, and you know, they allow chunk plays that Auburn has saved all year for Bama to keep them in the game. Talk about what you saw defensively and maybe the run fits, the rub routes that, that Freeze was using that, that really bothered Kevin Steele. Yeah, first off, another – I mean, people don't – there are, I think there's very few rivalries in, in college football like this one. It means a lot. But, um, you know, for Alabama, this is a – I just think very in very few rivalries, like Ohio State and Michigan, they both want to win it, and they're both on the same level. But in this rivalry, Auburn is not on the same level, and it is a real rivalry. But – there is if Ohio State wins against Michigan, it's a big deal. For Alabama to win against Auburn, it's not a big deal. This is not a big deal. 
Business as usual, as we proceed, there is a sigh of relief at the end of every Iron Bowl, whether it's at home, which has normally been a 25-point dub for Nick Saban over Auburn, or whether it's on the road, which is normally squeak one out in the middle of Jordan-Hare voodoo. Like, this rivalry is very unique because it literally is a little brother. Like, you don't want to lose in hoops to your little brother. You don't want to lose it all because you might win it a million times, but the one time you lose, that's how it, it's just way worse than the good feeling you get when you win against that. So I just think that it's just such a unique rivalry and it was all coming to head. Auburn students have already jumped the wall. They're ready to rush the field. I mean, they're celebrating. They're they're like they have there's a million TikToks out there with chunky Auburn girls videoing themselves ready to ready to go crazy only for their faces to turn from smiles to frowns. I thought it was, I mean, that's, that's just the type of rivalry that this is, but Kevin still last week, we're talking, is it a revenge game? I feel like he wanted it to be, but I don't know how much that would come uh, from the players because Nick Saban, unfortunately, and I think it makes him great. And it also is the same reason why these games are close a lot is he treats Chattanooga the same way he treats Auburn, the same way he treats LSU, the same way he treats Tennessee. So when you come into a game like this, where clearly even Auburn fans are saying that they sold their soul to win the Iron Bowl and it just didn't work out for him by practicing for Alabama for three consecutive weeks, it didn't work out. But Nick Saban, it's tough to go into a place that's as crazy as Jordan-Hare on seven days of preparation when the other team has 14 or 21 days of preparation for that game. I thought Auburn did some things, you know, running the football that kind of gave Alabama fits. Um, I still don't know why Deontay Lawson and Trez Marshall were out of position so often. I didn't like the adjustments that we made for what Auburn was doing in the second quarter after halftime. We didn't really change a whole lot up. I thought we played better defensively in the second half than we did in that second quarter. But I just, I it, it was it was weird to me to watch Deontay Lawson look lost he was obviously limping maybe he couldn't get in position as well as he wanted to but the defense changed a little bit I think it was better when 30 was on the field they have to find a way to keep Jihad out there and we knew Hugh Freeze was going to dial up a player too that's gonna that's gonna he's an offensive guy that's gonna get a guy wide open in the game I was hoping it didn't lead to a touchdown and it did but I mean if you take those chunk plays out of this game <laughs> and you can't but I'm just saying if you do Auburn didn't really sustain a whole lot in this ball game I thought our defense played exceptional in the fourth quarter. Some crazy things happened in that fourth quarter, but I also think you gotta you have some talking points and some touching points as you get ready for this Georgia game. But listen, my hat's off to Hugh Freeze. He knew he had to win this game. It's been a one-game season since they lost to their second biggest rival, um, kind of in similar fashion at the end of September, early October. I think for seven weeks, this has been a one-game season for Auburn, and they they still come up short. One thing that, uh, Lester, I want to get your opinion on the defense, too, because one thing that I noticed and, and that I thought that Hugh Freeze did a, a different job of than really anybody else Alabama has played is Alabama has prided itself on um, adjustments at halftime, making the adjustments at halftime, whatever the offense is doing, because most of the time we all know that everybody has a different playbook for Alabama. But what Alabama's been able to do a good job of that they didn't do under Pete Golding was make adjustments at halftime and stop that. Well, what Hugh Freeze did is, you know, he had the 
the play where he had the the tight end and the running back on the same side, and they were pulling the tight end and a and a backside guard and running to the weak side. So you're already outnumbered over there. Now you got a guard and a tight end pulling. It's very hard to fit that type of run. So they had some success with that. And so Alabama makes adjustments to stop that at halftime. Well, he comes out and he starts running Peyton Thorne on the quarterback draws and keepers and stuff like that. So it's like almost he had a first half plan and a second half plan. And I think that's really one thing that kept Alabama on their toes because they did all their damage in the run game. They only completed five passes. I mean, hell, he completed two of them to Terry on Arnold. So, um, you know, they didn't have hardly any success throwing the ball, um, a 37 yarder and a 27 yarder for a touchdown. But um, Lester, tell me what tell me what you think, um, or tell me how you think this defense played overall. Yeah, well, I think that this defense was a little un. It's kind of hard. They were unprepared for the counter because Auburn countered the counter. They were prepared for the adjustments in the second half. Like that was, I fully believe that was part of their game plan. Hey. First half, we're going to do this. And the second half, after they've made adjustments for what we're going to do in the first half, we're going to completely, you know, abandon that and go to something else. So um, that's 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 weird because it makes it seem like the second half adjustments are concrete, no matter what. They're doing this, and we're going to do this, and that's just going to be our game plan for the rest of the game. And – I think for the first time this season that Alabama has been caught off guard by a team who was prepared for Alabama to make their second half adjustments, which is wild to think about. Um, but, you know, Auburn's, you know, their Super Bowl, they were prepared. Clearly that genius thinking down there in the plains, they were prepared for the second half adjustments that, you know, Steele and Saban and Bama were going to make. Um, so credit to to them for that. Um, but the defense was totally unprepared for that, um, kind of caught off guard. And once things get going, uh, once Auburn and that crowd and that momentum gets going, um, if you aren't prepared to, you know, have a solid plan on defense, things are going to get really weird down there, and they surely did Saturday. Offensively, J-Law, you know, the start of the game was everything you hoped for. You know, the best way to start a game on the road, or really a home period, is you you go on defense first, you force a three and out, and then you go down and score a touchdown. That you know that's very demoralizing. Um, that's exactly what Alabama did. Uh, and then you know they they force another punt, and then Tommy Reese makes a good play call with the speed sweep so to Kendrick Law. You kind of had a, a weak holding call there on CJ Dupree. Could have been called, could have not. He kind of snatched the guy, but the guy went inside anyway. He wasn't going to make a play. Kendrick Law was already past him. You know, without that, it's 14 nothing, And, uh, you know, the route could have easily been on right then. Uh, you know, Alabama goes down and gets another stop, gets the ball back. Who knows? I think that was a huge play early in the game. Um, but but talk about talk about Tommy Reese. Um, what you saw from him this game, Milrow only – well, he had four design carries, and one of them was the tush-push getting off the goal line. So, really only three design runs in this game. Something that I thought that – uh that has has really helped out and really springboarded our offense over the last month or so. Talk about what you saw from Tommy Reese in this game and great how he performed. Yeah, first two drives, Tommy Reese, A-plus. After that, it's hard to tell because Alabama just left so much on the field. Like maybe Jalen Milrow design run wasn't the answer based off of what Auburn's defense was showing. I still would have liked to have seen more than that, but – 
when you have your quarterback rolling out of the pocket and he has a clear first down and throws it three yards past the line of scrimmage into the end zone for a touchdown that gets called back because he's clearly ahead of the sticks or when you have your quarterback, I believe, run inside of the 10 for a first down and did you get a blindside block from Kendrick Law that backs it up and you end up missing a field goal. I mean, it felt just like 2013. How many times is Alabama going to get inside of the 30, inside of the 25, and come up with no points? So, I mean, like, you look at that game, and it's hard to tell Tommy Reese, like, what did he do well? What did he not do well? I thought we ran the ball pretty well. I thought Roy Dell and Jam did a good job when they got their touches. I thought Jace did a good job, especially in the first quarter. Obviously, I mean, we did some design runs for Jalen Milrow a couple times. He didn't look like, I think one time out of a timeout on a second down and five to start the second quarter, maybe. He um just runs to his left, can't find a lane, and then just dives on the ground for a two-yard loss. I thought mentally Jalen Milrow might have had his lowest football IQ game since Texas. He just made a lot of dumb, weird decisions, especially with how well he's been running the football I thought that he left a lot on the field that maybe you're not in the fourth quarter on a fourth and 31 with 38 seconds on the clock or whatever away from losing the Iron Bowl. So I don't know how to grade Tommy Reese. I guess if you take just the overall offensive performance and the first quarter into into play, I give Tommy Reese a B- minus in this game. They just didn't do enough, and they didn't score enough points, and I think that reflects back at the offensive coordinator. Yeah, well, uh, we'll talk about Jalen too in a second. Um, I, I didn't think it was the best game from Tommy, uh, in my in my honest opinion. I thought we could have we could have ran the ball eighty percent of the time if he was creative in the run game. I thought we had a huge advantage up front. I don't think he was very creative in the run game. Uh, he only ran Milrow three times, like I mentioned earlier. And if if you're Tommy Reese, you got to understand that just because you don't bust a quarterback keeper for thirty yards every time, that doesn't mean you give up on it. And I, I believe when the offense is at its best, it's when Milrow is running in the run and pass game. I thought he did some good things. You know, I thought the pitch out of the tush push was very creative. And if any of y'all remember when we handed it to Jan Miller on the end around out of the tush push formation, I can't remember which game it was. You know, I've seen that in the NFL two or three times now. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you see this toss play because that's so creative and, and everybody's right there in the middle. Let's just toss it and run around the edge for three yards. I thought that was a really creative play. Um, I thought his red zone play calling was not very good at all. Uh, I think he has to be a, a lot better against Georgia if Alabama wants to have any chance. We'll, we'll discuss that later on in the week. But, um, Lester, what were some things that you saw from Tommy Reese in this game? Do you think he got, you think he got better? You think he got, maybe took a slight step back? I think like I like I told y'all during the game, there there were flashes of brilliance here or there. And it's it's frustrating to watch because it's like Tom, that was the perfect play. Like the for, for instance, the call that got called back because of Dupree's ass. Um buddy, I know I predicted 21 point victory, and if that play had not been called back, Dude, it might yeah. have been around from Jordan Hare last Huge night. Huge play, man. Perfect scenario happened. Three and out, come down to the store, come down to score, get the ball back again, and it's about to break their asses in half. And it gets called back. And from that point on, I said, uh oh, because the shitstorm's coming. Like the crowd is back into it. They have hope. If you can sell hope down in Auburn, it's trouble. But I, I thought it's what Tom like I see flashes, and that that's what makes me think that Saban has a, a bigger input than 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 what 
he'll say or what most people think because you see the flashes here and there, like, hey, that play call, then you get back to this vanilla-ass play calling, and boom, there it is. Like, it's it's it's, it's there. You know, Tommy will let out the box once or twice. He'll, he'll show it, you know, two or three times, and then Alabama maybe gets in a little bit of trouble. Maybe things don't go, you know, this way. Maybe momentum shifts back a little bit, and here comes this basic vanilla – boring stuff again so i'm i'm right on power y'all I'll, I'll give tanya a b um all things considered but it, it, it it's there it's flashes and i fear we'll never see tommy fully unleash it um you know j-law going back to jalen milrow i want to get both of your opinions on how he played because y'all were kind of y'all were kind of on him a little bit in the first half of the game and i was like i think he's doing okay and um I thought he did a fantastic job considering that his offensive coordinator, I didn't do as much as he could have to help him out. Um, so what did Jalen go into a little bit more detail about Jalen Milrose's play throughout the whole game? You know, we know he was brilliant on the last drive. He did what he needed to do. He made one of the best throws in Alabama football history to where he put that ball to Isaiah Bond. He couldn't have gone down there and placed it in a better spot. You know, it's a corner of the end zone. The ball is elevated. It was to the boundary. Just a tremendous ball right there, and he had to throw it 45 yards in the air at least. Um, so tell me tell me what you thought of Milrow throughout the whole game. Yeah, I give – I mean, I give Milrow an A for the whole game. The problem to me was just I thought he – I thought he panicked a lot in the game. That's all. I mean, I thought there were some points in the game and some key moments where, I mean, even on a second and six, I mean, he – I don't know if there's a quarterback in the Nick Saban era that misses that throw to Isaiah Bond that he short hops to him, just wide open, sitting down in the zone, coming back to it. I mean, it. I mean, he, Isaiah Bond had to dive backwards, and it was still a yard short of him. Um, it, to me, I just wanted him to make the plays with his legs, and I think that's a lot of Alabama fans. Plus, like, people aren't frustrated with Jalen Milrow. He has gotten so much better than any of us ever thought he would be. Don't get me wrong. But – he kind I think he like it was it was his most Texas game since Texas, and we knew one of those was coming. Everybody's gonna have a bad game, but I feel like he didn't do the things that he could do to help him. He ran for some big third downs. Don't get me wrong, but he also has I think a lot of opportunities to probably maybe finish that game with 175, 180 rushing yards in that game to keep Alabama drives alive. And he only missed I think going back I think he just blatantly like just missed and whiffed on two throws one of those was the bond throw on second and six after a, a four-yard carry from either Jace or Roy Dale but I thought there was some other moments like the two things behind uh, uh throwing the yeah, ball you're saying those are like his mistakes were just huge plays because you yeah, know it's just like them, it's like it's, you know here, here here's a question J-Law could he have, on his illegal forward passes do you think he could have probably scored on both of them if he just runs the ball I mean, Saban thinks that he could have got back down to the seven. I kind of agree because it was third and so the five-yard penalty. It was third and goal. I'm on, I'm on the last one. Yeah, and yeah. Tyler Booker was in a dead sprint. So even if he stayed behind the line, he had a lineman downfield anyway. He Correct. was in like a dead run. sprint, and Milrose looking right at him. There's no way you don't see Tyler Booker's big ass in a full sprint down the sideline. So you had a lead blocker from hell. <laughs> And you just get on his hip. I think he probably would have scored there. 
I think he get. I think he gets into it. Listen, man. Like hindsight's twenty twenty. We get the fourth and thirty one. Don't get me wrong, but you got to be thinking like football IQ tells me to get as many yards on this play as I can. Get a fourth and goal from the seven, and then and then in the I guess early second quarter, the throw to Nye Black in the end zone. I mean, dude, you're a yard and a half past it. To me, that's not a touchdown taken off the board. It's a first down off the board because the the guy come the guy that's covering Nye Black rushes up because he thinks Milrose taking off running because he should be because he's a yard and a half past the line of scrimmage. That's five feet. That's a whole person past the line of scrimmage. You got to know that when you're on the football field. And those are just massive plays in a game where if Jalen Milrow just makes his normal Jalen Milrow type play, you're looking at a very manageable fourth and goal from the seven to try to win the game, although Alabama won the game. But if he makes the first one where he just goes and picks up a first down, you get it also. Leaving it up to a fourth and a fourth down pitch toss to Roy Dell when everybody thinks we're doing the Millie push where, man, dude, you you got the first down. You have to run as fast as you can to the sticks and get out of bounds. And if you're short there, you're short. But he slows down and causes a collision a yard short of the go- the first down marker. Those are just types, some of the things you're not going to be able to do this week. But overall, man, I give him an A. I thought it was a low football IQ game for Jalen Milrow, like the lowest one since Texas. But he was going to have a bad game, and uh, he came through and he, listen, he got things done. Yeah, you'd rather have him have him uh, have a bad game and and win, especially you know in that environment, something that he's never played in before. I know he played at Texas A and M, but that hatred that they have over there on the planes, uh, you know, it's especially in the fourth quarter. So yeah, his, his awareness is a little, a little down. I'll give you that. And his, his mistakes were, were costly. Um, but he definitely made up for it. It was so funny as I, I told y'all earlier that it, it, I don't want to say struggles, but with his inner, when him being a little bit kind of squirrely in the intermediate passing game, those 10 to 15 yard throws, maybe it's good that it wasn't a fourth and goal from the seven. Cause he might've thrown the bitch five yards or five and five rows up in the end zone. You know, you just you just never know. Or he'd have skipped it off the goal line, something like that. So it worked out to where, where what's his strength throwing the ball, the deep ball? And, buddy, did he put it on a rope? <laughs> Lester, talk about Jalen Milrow's performance in this game. Yeah, I think I think it was okay. All things all things considered, um, I think it was pretty good. But thinking about the score, I'm thinking that that game is nowhere near close. If, like a few weeks ago, during the bye week, I said, one, two, three, four, boom, take off. Period. Period. Just one, two, three, four, first read isn't there, second read isn't there. Hell, it's a check down in there. Just take off. There were several um, screenshots. I guess it was of the um, of the CBS camera, like directly behind Milro, on a place where nobody is within 10, 15 yards of the guy. He's still trying to make a throw down the field man that that can't happen it's it's the perfect it's the perfect um take what the defense give you and buddy they will give you 10 15 hell 20 yards on the scramble if you would have taken it so um ready to that guy great game i know um you know due to you know play calling and penalties the auburn and their crowd was allowed to kind of get back in it there but you just got to take because you, you just can't play with that kind of fire like that, especially down there, and especially against a great opponent like next week coming up with Georgia, where it's going to be, you know, at least sixty percent Georgia fans, probably seventy in that stadium. So I'll give I'll give Miro a, a a B plus, you know, hell of a throw 
Um, but man, just just take what the defense gives you. You don't have to be hero, don't have to play hero ball, but take what the defense gives you going forward throughout the season. And hell of a play, you know, credit that guy for making that throw because that was amazing. Final question for both of you guys here is Jaylaw, how long do we allow Seth McLaughlin to cost us 20 plus yards a game? Whether it's snapping fraction penalties or worse, you know, snapping the ball and the quarterback's not even looking. How long is his leash right now? Yeah, listen, I'm not I'm not going to I obviously everybody's seen the video of the guy clapping or the safety coming up and clapping. I would give Seth McLaughlin the benefit of the doubt. If he hasn't had a snap infraction penalty or a bad snap or multiple in every single game this year, if this happened twice, I'll say, you know what, that might have caused it. But I'm sitting, we're all sitting there thinking, oh, we hadn't really made a mistake offensively this ball game. It was either going to be a Milro interception or Seth McLaughlin a bad snap, and the bad snap came. And my thing is, you played Dalcourt last week. You did not have a bad snap from Dalcourt. I know it was senior day, so you let him start the ball game. But as soon as you put Seth McLaughlin in, I think you had a bad snap in the third quarter, early fourth against Chattanooga. It didn't happen against Auburn until the very end of the ball game. But at some point, you just have to say, like, if these two guys are similar, okay, and we know that we're not going to lose 20 to 25 yards on a play that's going to be big against Georgia, I think you got to go with Darian Dalcourt. Like, that's inexcusable. Wolford's chewing his tail on the sideline. And there has to be nobody more relieved that Alabama won that game than Seth McLaughlin. I mean, because he, he Alabama's going in to score. It's first and goal from the seven. Um, they're going to find a way to get in. Auburn's defense is, I mean, they were pretty much in shambles. They were tired. We we'd had the ball a lot as well. But, you know, I, I just think that you how much – how much more evidence does Nick Saban have to have? You know what Lester said about Kool-Aid at punt returner. I think the same's got to go for Seth McLaughlin right here at center. At some points, you have to be held accountable for not doing your job well. And if it only happened once, I'd give him the benefit of the doubt. But it happens every week. And at some point, you just got to say, hey, man, like we we can't have this. We're going to have to make a change. Because now a national championship game was on the – or a playoff was on the line last week. Well, it's definitely on the line this week if you lose against Georgia. And if you think those two guys are similar, I think you got to do – I think you got to make a change in the ballgame. He he replaced Dalcourt at halftime of the 2021 Iron Bowl simply because of his communication on the road. But since then, or this year, it seems like he's been a – consistent inconsistency at the center spot for the last 12 games. So I think you have to give Dalcourt a shot at, you know, versus Georgia. I think it's warranted at this point. You know, J-Lo, you were just talking about Alabama offensively does enough to shoot themselves in the foot every single week by themselves. It's far from a complete team. We understand that. Um, you, You know, the last thing we need is on top of that, the damn center being a liability and snapping the ball whenever he pleases, whenever he thinks he hears a clap or whatever, that, that should never happen. And he it seems like he was brought in to fix that type of problem that Dalcourt was having, and now he's become the problem. So I think it's time to make a switch personally. Lester, what do you think about the center, the center spot? Way too important to be screwing up on a consistent basis. Way too important. Yeah, think about it. Your center – it's probably the second most important person on the field behind the quarterback. Two people touch the ball every single play, the center and the quarterback. And when one of those guys is screwing up royally, it's really, 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 really bad. Um, Hey, 
maybe that Auburn guy, maybe that player did come in and clap. I hundred percent, I fully believe that he did. Um, but you got to be better than that. And then the thing that came out earlier, another thing that said that Miro's cadence is low or something. And I'm like, yes. okay, why haven't you accounted for that? It is week twelve. His cadence didn't all of a sudden get low this week. Why are they not prepared? What chase? I asked y'all in the group, what happened to the silent count? Yeah, what we happened? did it. We did it one we game about that. and we thought it worked well and uh, never, never went back to it. But let's have a quick question to. on what you were saying. Yeah. You know, I, I played center back when I played, you know, fortnight ago. <laughs> but we did not go off clap. We, you know, we, we had a legit cadence. Of course, I never played in front of 90,000 people that, that wanted your head. So, uh, you know, we went off a cadence. I never, I've never actually heard a clap from the center spot. But my question is, if a guy has clapped behind you 60 or 50 plus times in the game, and then all of a sudden somebody claps in front of you, is that something you think you could, you would be able to distinguish if you're right. Seth Laughlin? Like, can we, right. are we, why are we trying to, and I understand, you know, a clap's a clap, and you're, you know, once everybody hears the clap, they're going. So as a center, the first thing you hear, you know, I, I can understand how you could make a bad snap on that, but I don't really want to know. I don't, I don't really know if I want to lean on that as, as just a hundred percent legit excuse. Right. It's, it's, I don't know. Maybe Steph's nerves aren't as good as we think they are or, or whatever it is, but man, that, that, that was almost the most costliest play of the season coming from that guy from a consistent issue. Um, yeah, I, I I I wonder if we're going to see Dalcourt this week. We, I mean, if if they, if Dalcourt does start, will any of us be surprised? I don't think so because you cannot afford. Like, if the sliver of thought comes in that Seth may screw up a snap, he just can't play. He can't play. If Seth starts Saturday, Saban has the utmost supreme confidence in that guy, and I don't. And I think if most Alabama fans think about it, they don't either. So. It's all on the head, man, to make the decision. But I believe that, you know, you got to give Dalcourt that shot because unless Dalcourt is just that much worse than Seth at playing center, Seth, Seth can't continue. Well, and, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I mentioned last week that if we saw Seth in, in the Iron Bowl, it's because of the fact that the offensive line has continued to jail. And as a center, you do have to make checks. You do have to make calls. You have to be the center of attention, literally. And uh, and so with the offensive line playing like they are, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they stuck with Seth. Um, but, you know, if they feel like Dalcourt can go do that in a, in a neutral site. I mean, Georgia, Georgia's probably going to have – usually about 65% of the fans there. You know, it's not 50-50, but it's not like 80-20. It's not like a legit road game. Georgia will have slightly more fans there than Alabama. That's usually how it is over in Atlanta. So if they think Dalcourt can handle the checks and, and handle the uh, and handle the noise or whatever, then then maybe they do give him a shot because I think physically um, he, he's better than Seth. I don't think that's ever been a question. Um, you know, one thing that – we never are going to do here at Gump Runners on the podcast is really just, we don't come on here and just bash refs a lot because I think that's kind of cheap. Uh, in this game though, there were some big calls that really hurt Alabama here, J-Law. And I sent y'all the the tweet about Jason Autry's crew, the same crew that was in Knoxville last year. I told you, I said, whenever I saw that tweet, my confidence, my confidence level went from about 80% to about 50%. That's how much they brought it down because they're like the lowest 
rated crew in the SEC this year and how they just miraculously get the Iron Bowl. You know, that there's no secret to what the SEC was trying to do here. And, uh, you know, you had some big calls in this game. I mentioned the weak holding call on Dupree that he rates a touchdown early in the game. The uh, the incomplete pass to Burton when it looked like he was in. I mean, when Gary Danielson is telling you that he's in and he's trying to give Bama a positive play, he's in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the the three men in motion on the snap, and they only call an all-size penalty on Bama. Um, James Burnup getting cracked back on right in front of the ref. And then – Worse, Michael Riley just drives him into the ground and lays on him, and then the ref goes over there and just breaks him up. There's no call there. That's that's you can't do that. That's illegal. And then of course, you know, we mentioned the defender claps, causing Seth to to snap the ball, and um, which is a penalty. You know, whether whether Seth tries to use that as an excuse or not, it is illegal. You know, it has been called this year. So, tell me about the officiating in this game and uh, and what you thought of it. I will not ever complain about the officiating after a loss because I think there's so many plays that happen in a game. Um, but I will complain about it after a win. I thought it was awful. I thought it was bad for both sides. Um, the only thing that you had, yes, Chase, they are the lowest rated crew in the SEC, but they are the lowest rated crew of all Power Five conferences. Wow! So yeah, I of all Power that. Five, wow, they're the worst. They're the worst that they that that they're the they are the worst that you can get. And Jason Altry and his guys get sent to Auburn. Um, and hey, the first one goes against Alabama. Although I thought it was kind of like they wanted a face mask call, but it was after a block in the back that caused the face mask, which cost Auburn like six yards. Um, our penalty that was a weak hold on Dupree, who didn't really have to do it. I get it. Cost Alabama seven points. So I think Auburn won that um, makeup call there. They tackle Isaiah Bond in the end zone. I mean, he's all over him. Doesn't give him a chance to catch the ball. Should have been first and goal from the two-yard line. Didn't get it after that. They got three guys in motion. So when one guy's moving and two more go in motion at the exact same time, our guys jump in the neutral zone, which is movement by the offensive line. Should have been a penalty on Auburn for drawing Alabama offsides. Turns into a first and, I guess, a first down. Auburn, I think they got three out of that, whatever. Um, and I thought that those guys are bad. You knew it was going to be bad. You texted us, Matthew texted us, like, hey, and these guys are are, are crew today, and it's going to get a little hairy in Jordan Hare. And I, and, and you guys were right. But they, listen, they're bad. They should have done the game. But at the end of the day, um, I just thought like the the worst of all was the Jermaine Burton catch. I mean, I thought he clearly had it. It was close, but it looked like even live on TV that he got it. The first ref comes in says it's a catch, the next ref comes in from the Alabama bench, by the way, with guys obstructing his view and says, no way, he didn't get in. Like, what are you looking at? The other guy was 12 yards closer to the play than you were. It goes to replay. There's clearly green in between Burden's toe and um, and the, and the, and the white. Now, I do know for a fact there are a couple of Auburn fans that are um, highly involved in the review process back in Birmingham. I say that because I know it that it is a fact, and I know one of them. Um, I'm not going to say their name. not saying that they would – I'm just saying, like, when I saw that go to review, I said, hey, this one right here, this ain't going our way because I, I know that there there's the potential of some people in Birmingham that could swing a call right here. And you know, I said it tongue-in-cheek, but when it came back, I was like, oh, my God. Like That's a – that's that's a third and ten. That's a huge play in the game. 
No doubt. And it was a miraculous catch. It wouldn't have been a if that 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 was the other throw. I was thinking of the other throw for Milrow was that one to Jermaine Burton, who had to make a miracle play to get a foot down, much less inbounds, because Milrow airmailed it. And that one was going over the bench if Burton doesn't come back and catch. I thought that was the only the really the other bad throw that Milrow had that if he just puts it where it's supposed to be, anywhere near where it's supposed to be, it's a first and ten. And the drive moves on. I even told Daz, like, well, if they say he's out of bounds, I'm leaving. I packed up all Adeline's toys, told Savannah to get in the car. We're punting it away. And Hugh Free sent the wrong guy back there to return it. So I finished watching the game, thank God. But, yeah, I thought officiating was bad. I don't know why those guys are allowed to call the biggest games every week. Dude, send them to South Carolina Clemson. Send them to somewhere else. But there's no excuse for them to be doing the Iron Bowl. Yeah, just – Big time moments and and uh, calls calls that were missed very frustrating. Lester, what did you think of it? Yeah, I it with as much money that the SP prints and with as much money that is in college football. Um, I don't I don't gamble on sports, and I hate to bring gambling into it, but gambling is becoming a force in every single sport that you can think of, somebody will place a bet on it, I promise you. Um, with all those things considered, the SEC is going to have to make a change. Um, they can't continue to allow bad officiating to dictate games. And I, I'm not sure how the, the rotation works for games because if I was the head of officiating, it would be a, a different crew every week. Like, there is no Mike Altry crew. He may be the head ref, but if 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 I'm the SEC, I would just assign, you know, random seven or eight refs to go to each game. There is no such thing as a crew because when you have a crew, you allow between you allow consistent and constant potential communications between these guys. I mean, surely they built they built a friendship. Maybe they got, you know, they didn't they they didn't get in the KA at Bama. They're gonna hold a grudge for the rest of their life. And it's like well, hey, I'm going to screw these guys every chance I get. You know what I mean? To fix this problem from the SEC, you have to have just send a random, maybe you can have no more than three people from one crew from the previous week goes to a game, right? Lester, way, how about this? Possible. How about this? How about there's so much money involved that hey, these people yeah. shouldn't be school teachers? They're, these yeah. people have other yeah. jobs. They're working yeah. Monday through Friday, and then they're waking up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed on a Saturday to make an extra forty grand a year and being an an SEC official. No, this is your full-time job. Yeah, we're going is, to pay. We're going to pay you a hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year, and if you don't like it, go work somewhere else. I don't care. Yeah. But your job is to be an SEC football ref. You get the next eight months off. Well, you do spring games, et cetera. You go to practices and you you know do what you got to do. But there's too much money involved to have janitor Joe or CEO yeah. from some company come over here and referee games for fun in their spare time. It's it's complete garbage. Yeah, and and maybe not maybe not for every single team in college football. But you would think at least power five conferences could afford that. And they can, they can. Trust me. Yeah, they, they can. I don't. I with the twelve team playoff and things like that. There's going to be a professional college football refereeing union or something. Either way, they're going to make these guys professionals at some point. They have to. 
especially if in the future, you know, if the Power Five decides to break away from the NCAA and do their own thing or whatever, yada, yada, yada. But it's, it's going to have to be better because, you know, there's what, at least five or six legitimate calls Alabama probably sent to the SD offices this week. I mean, things like that, you know, we have a lot on the line. We have a lot to play for. That just can't happen. Period. Period. Point blank. Period. It's it's got to stop. Um, I don't I don't foresee anybody else thinking this is the problem outside of you know Bama fans unless their team gets screwed over constantly. But I've said this, you know, with with baseball umpires, basketball referees, and football. I should not know your name because your performance is so bad. I know Angel Hernandez. I know two or three other shitty. Baseball umpires, I know Doug shows. Pat Adams. Matt <laughs> Adams, TV Teddy Valentine. <laughs> Why the ref has a nickname? <laughs> Teddy. Come on, bro. And now we've known Mike Altry for two or three years. I should not know. I should not be able to recognize, oh, that guy. You know the one ref I know because he's a positive influence? I know Jerome Boger from the NFL because he's the big yoked up black guy. I'm like, oh, yeah. I know that guy because that guy clearly lives six hundred seven days of the week. But the other guys I know, I know them simply because they are terrible at their job, and that it should not be that way. It should well, not be. That the, way at I all. think we talked about this before. Alabama, I, at least last year, Alabama's never going to get the best crew because no. the head referee went to Alabama on that crew. I won't say his name. He's from Alabama. Davis lives, Smith. Huh? It's no, he's Smith. but he's not the head of refs anymore. He's not. That's no, no, not no. Oh, that's what's his name. That's the guy that's that's on TV now for ESPN. He used to be the the SEC officials guy. Now he's some yeah. he's like the NCAA officials guy. But Steve Marlowe's crew is one of the best in the SEC. He had the Arkansas Missouri game. They handle, dude. You watch their games, dude. They don't miss calls. They call it equally. They're not gonna call every hold. That's unless it's blatant. They're not gonna. You know, reward every single underthrown back shoulder throw. That that they're the best crew to me in football. Maybe David Smith has one too, whatever. But Alabama's not going to get the best crew, so it kind of sucks that Alabama's always going to have subpar officiating in a lot of its games. Yeah, it's frustrating. So let's hope it's not like that in Atlanta this week. Um, we will do uh, a, another podcast. We wanted to split up the podcast since you have an SEC championship game to break down. We didn't want to run another hour and a half long podcast this week. Um, we, you know, sometimes that's tough to listen to. Um, so we like to give our listeners, we'll give you all two, two podcasts this week, you know, 30, 45 minutes each or whatever. Um, is there anything you want to add on the Iron Bowl before we hop off here? Negative. I'm good. All right. Yeah, it was fun. It was funny. Uh, you know, Auburn fans hate it for you. Maybe, maybe in two years, because you're damn sure not going to win in Bryant Denny. So that'll be five in a row. Fear, fear the thumb. You know, the old Tommy, Tommy Tuberville waggling that thumb. <laughs> uh, so fear the thumb, Albs. And, uh, you know, next year, going to have another five losses. You got to go like to Kentucky, to Missouri, to Bama, to Georgia. It's probably four losses right there. You got to play Oklahoma. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, good luck to you, but we'll see you in two years. Maybe y'all can pull one out then. But, uh, yeah, until later this week, we're going to shoot y'all another podcast. We appreciate y'all listening to episode 100, Triple Digits. Uh, so we thank you for everybody listening out there. And, um, you know, if, if you weren't listening, we wouldn't keep doing the podcast. If I, You know, I can see how many people listen. If we were getting 10, 15 listeners a week, 
we wouldn't be doing it. So uh, we appreciate everybody listening out there. This is episode 100, Gump Runners Podcast, Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law. Talk to you later.